Hey, what's up? It's Julie Pilot from the Idea Fountain, and today we did our first ever virtual taping. You'll recognize probably the sound of Zoom and some friends that joined in for the conversation. You might even hear some sirens in the background. There's a Kaiser Permanente pretty much in our backyard. It's been a hot spot with sirens going all day. It totally breaks my heart. This has been such a heavy time, but we're all in it together, and I really appreciate you coming to hang out. I believe everybody matters so much. The idea of fountain interviews and guests stretch a pretty big range. There's an extreme amount of variety. We've talked to CEOs of unicorn tech startups and Grammy-winning musicians. We've talked to nuns and representatives from Skid Row. Now, if you know me, that makes total sense. That's completely who I hang out with all the time anyways. But if you don't know me... Check out juliepilot.co, that's J-U-L-I-E-P-I-L-A-T.co. And if you like what you're hearing on the Idea Fountain, telling a friend, sharing an episode, and writing a review really helps. In this episode, most women know hairstylist double is therapist. I'm going to introduce you to mine who has a tremendous amount of wisdom, style, and Unbelievable stories of LA history. It's Julio Champulio. I D A F O U N E A I N. This is the Idea Fountain, life changing conversations. Today, I have Julio Champulio. He is uh, checking in from. What do you officially call it? ASE Salon on Melrose for a Shampoolio experience? No, I mean, it's just called Shampoolio, really. I mean, it is a Shampoolio experience, but that's too much of a mouthful. So we just shortened it to Shampoolio, and it's, you know, easy. That's awesome. So Julio's uh, salon's located right around Melrose and Heliotrope. He also has a vintage business called The Roaring 90s and is an artist and one of the wisest people I know, Julio Champulio. I don't think you can virtually clap on the Zoom, but go ahead if you can. Clap at your house. <laughs> Thank you for very nice introduction. Thank you. I think this chat's going to be really applicable to everybody because, one, I want to kick off and tell the story about where I really think you did something that changed my life and the way I look at the world. I want to talk about hair, and I also want to talk about L.A. culture, because you are one of the most OG L.A. people I know. Um, but first, I actually have told this story on the Idea Fountain before. When I was interviewing Andrea Markham about her hard-ass yoga classes, and really with the practice of yoga, what you learn on and off your mat, I told the story about when I first moved to LA and started taking her really hard classes and she would make all of us hold warrior two poses for a hundred years in my head, I would be like, ah, oh, I got to put my arms down. I want to put my arms down. How much longer is this? And you would be in the class. And this was probably like around 2004, 2005. And you'd be in the class and you are completely sleeved and tattooed up. So I would almost do a meditation 
by zoning in on the artwork of your tattoos to make it through her yoga classes. And back <laughs> then, it was like Julio and Blink-182 might have been sleeved up. Not that many people. Um, and we didn't know each other, but you were a really big part of my yoga practice. And then there would be times that you would come into yoga and just like fall out in Shavasana with a towel on your face for like 90 minutes. And it's interesting because I am an absolute rule follower. I've gotten better over the years, but like I was raised to like color inside the lines. And I would see you with that towel over your face and I would be like, oh my God, is he gonna get in trouble? Is he gonna get kicked <laughs> out of class? What does the teacher think? Why does he even come? Like, I just, I didn't get it. And all these judgments would come up. And then, you know, we have friends in common, whether it be Chia or Lori, that you did their hair. And when my hairdresser moved to New York, I started coming to you. And we talked about it. And I learned what you were going through in that time. And it was really profound. Will you, will you share your side of the story of what was happening? Well, at that time, I was really trying to change my life, and I was really making um, wholesale changes to what I was putting in my body, and uh, I, I was an addict of many things at that point, um, and drugs and alcohol were a big part of that, and uh, they were no longer working for my life, and I really knew that there was something out there. I just didn't know what that was. Uh, and uh, I, my body was breaking down. Uh, Andrea Markham was a, a client of mine. I would do her highlights. Her and I knew each other from working in uh, the restaurant business in the early 90s. We worked at an Italian restaurant. We became friends. And so anyway, she said, hey, uh, you know, I'm teaching this class and, you know, I, I think you, you should come. And I said, listen, you know, I'm in really bad shape and uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to clean up and I'm having a really hard time working because my whole entire body aches and um, I just feel like I hit the wall. And she said to me, well, um, just come once. If you hate it, you never have to come back. And if you love it, then we'll talk about it. So I went and I made it probably about maybe a halfway through the class before I had to tap out into Shavasana. And she was very clear with me in the beginning, look, if you're tired, just go into Shavasana or child's pose and get through it. So I did. By the end of the class, I felt heavenly. And I told her, I said, look, I feel the best I've felt in years. And she said, great, if you want to change your life, then you need to come every single day until you are strong enough to get away from the, uh, the drugs, the alcohol, and the people that are, making, are, are enabling you to um, go wrong. So right then and there, I made a pact with her to show up every day, and um, I would show up every day, seven days a week. And... <clears throat> Some days um, I had strength, other days I didn't. Some days I would sweat out this horrible stuff and have three dreams and shavasana, nightmares. I'd wake up screaming or, or crying or making weird noises. And 
but as the year went on, I, that slowly dissipated, and I started to then um, uh, have a lot of uh, great time, and, and the times where I needed to, to fall asleep became smaller and smaller, and I became stronger and more, um, uh, I was feeling endorphins again. My depression left. My my ability to uh, think and be um, artistic came back. And so I, uh, you know, I owe everything to her for that. There's so many lessons there for me. Like one is just to be kinder to yourself, right? Like going to yoga, especially a hard ass class like that, you know, she always says, take what you need, right? There are some people that do double chaturangas every single sun salutation. But like, if you like, just do what you need to, that's enough. Like, what are you doing more for? And then secondly, there's that notion that like 90% of it is just showing up. I think that anything in life, right? Like you just have to start. Like I've, look at what you were going through and it seemed like such a huge mountain to climb to get to the other side, but just showing up every day, even if you were going to lay in child's pose. I remember you telling me if you just showed up, you knew you would be better off than you would be if you were out in the street. Yeah. I didn't have the energy then to go to the bar because I already extended it in that class or I got what I needed and I went home and went to bed and I just needed the camaraderie, and that's what I used to find in the bar. It's just that that goes dark at some point, but the camaraderie that you feel in a yoga room will last forever. Those endorphins that are coming back will last forever if you stick around and do the work, and I feel so grateful for that. Yeah, it's a really special. It was called the U Studio community, but now it's really just the Andrea Markham community. And I'd encourage people to follow her too because she's been doing really awesome um, IG Live yoga experiences through all this. And um, got to give a shout out to Andrea. Now, something else you said always stuck with me. I remember that we were talking about your childhood and what it was like growing up. And um, I think we were talking about school and how the education system isn't for everybody. And I remember you telling me, um, you're going to be like, she remembers the craziest shit. But I remember you telling me that maybe like your mom had a boyfriend that pulled you aside at one point because you'd gotten in trouble at school. And he said, you know, don't worry about all of this stuff because you're creative. So no matter what, you're going to be all right. Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, That guy, his name was Jake the Rake. Now, Jake (laughs) the Rake was a session guitar player. He played uh, the solo on uh, Steely Dan's Peg. And he was a good friend of the family. And um, he was one of my dad's best friends and, and one of my mom's best friends. And uh, he was, in general, just a really, really cool guy and very communicative and very intuitive. So um, he could see that I was having trouble. And, you know, I felt that with him, I had an open line of communication. It wasn't personal because it wasn't my parents. 
So I wasn't worried about trying to please him. And he wasn't worried about being a dad. He was just telling me straight up, look, he said, look, go to school, show up, skate through. Don't worry about it because you're an artist. You're going to be fine. Your life is different. And, um, you know, that really made me feel better at that point because I was dyslexic. I didn't know I was dyslexic. Uh, I had not been um, diagnosed, and I just thought that I was a slow learner, and I always figured I was the last to pick up on it, and I always felt like I needed to work the hardest to um, get anywhere. So um, that was a sense of comfort to me, and uh, it, it was grounding is what it was. That was an early form of grounding for me, and and at that point, I was spinning around in space, if you will, looking for some sort of answers. And with that knowledge and, and the, way, and the, the way he presented it with such passion and caring, and he also knew that I was a cool kid, so he spoke cool language. He didn't try to dad or grandpa me. He was very much like a jazz guy, so he had his own way of, communicating that was so cool it stuck with me forever and a part of him is a part of me because of that and now I try to be that person for others I try to mentor and and listen and listen to hear what are they telling you what do they need what are they going through and then try to be there for them yeah I mean, creativity really means so much to me. Like, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, I heard Bono say that we're really lucky to live in LA because there's so many creative people here that are making their living off their imagination, right? Like whether it's musicians, actors, artists, filmmakers, all of Walt Disney. And he says, we're gonna need creativity to change the world. So true, we're so lucky here because um, the top 20% of, of actors, artists, communicators, jugglers, weirdos, street artists, musicians, buskers, they all come to L.A. and they are here and, and they're vibrant. And they're just waiting to uh, show what they've been working on right now because as Everything has come to a grinding halt. The artists have not stopped. Mm -hmm. They have continued to create. The visionaries, the people who are, are um, hardcore meditators, they know that this is a time right now more than anything. There is an opportunity for spiritual growth. Why? Because so many people are scared and worried. So that has taken a lot of people out of, the meditation routine and the spiritual routine. And that has allowed for others who are very, very, very much understanding they need to be there. Uh, it's giving them opportunity to grow. And then what happens is when people crash, um, we can be there for them and show them the way on, on how to uh, restart your life uh, without so much technology and, and maybe just a, a tiny bit of grass and a tree and things like that. Um, I agree. 
I also really have a firm belief that more than ever, even like Fortune 500 executives, right, need to have confidence in their creativity because when there's so much data and analytics and research, but the world is changing so fast, you need to have confidence in your creativity and lean into those instincts or experiments in order to be successful. And I think that you were saying you're trying to help people. I think just kind of shaking people up a little bit about what it means to be creative and experiment and talk about personal style might really be helpful. Well, I just want to touch on analytics real quick because analytics are great, but you cannot measure heart with analytics. I'm sorry. And that is why you will have two athletes. One will get drafted before the other because of the analytics. But when uh, the shit hits the fan, one of the athletes is going to outdo the other athlete because his heart is in it. The other guy's isn't. So you cannot measure everything through analytics, although I do like them, and I think it's a very interesting study, uh, and, and I do use them myself. And as far as um, personal style goes, being in L.A., image is very, very important. And um, it, it's one of those things where you cannot feel bad about it. You must present your best self forward, even if you're up early and you're walking your dog. There really is no time for, uh, there is no downtime, really. And that is not a bad thing. We are lucky to be here. And there's opportunity everywhere, even at the dog park, even at 7 a.m., even at 6.30 in line at coffee. So I, I ran into Dita Von Teese at a vegan restaurant. I saw her. She was so well put together. It inspired me so much after that, that I came home and I wrote this down, no bad days. And what that meant to me was whenever I leave my house and I'm going out in the public, I'm going to try my hardest to put myself together like Dita Von Teese. Granted, I'm not a woman. And I, you know, she has to work way harder than me, way harder. And that's what inspired me. It doesn't take much to get myself together, maybe five to 10 minutes whereas it took her three hours to get ready. But I was so inspired, and I loved the way that she looked, and I just knew I just knew that I had to do me like she does her, but to 100% of what it is for me. So that's how I feel personal style is. It is your style, but done at 100% of the characters and influences that you have. And I think that, um, and one of my earliest mentors told me that if you're going to do a look, do it 100% or don't do it at all. And he said, and if you show up and you're in a 70% look or a 50% look, I'm sending you home. And I was like, oh, no. But that set the bar high for me. And basically what he meant was, look, don't mess up the shoes and the belt because you got everything else right. So, we have to think like that. And I've been really inspired by that, especially lately because there is a lot more free time. I'm not working on anybody else. So I'm working on me now so I can stay fresh when I do get a chance to work on others. 
So that means every day I'm working on my hair. I'm actually giving myself facials at home and I'm, um, you know, putting in that effort because I have the time. Not only that, I want to inspire people. I want to be ready for them when their opportunity that's so awesome. Okay, we're going to like turn and talk about hair a little bit. If anybody has any hair questions, they can put it in the chat. But I want to recap our poll that we took uh, with our virtual episode of the Idea Fountain. The question was, how are you handling your hair during COVID-19? Multiple choice. Uh, the, the number one result, people are letting it go like frozen. I've been there. Uh, coming, in, coming in number two, it's hats and buns. There's a tie for third place. Uh, people are doing DIY color touch-ups, making emotional hairstyling choices. And then absolutely nobody has tried to do a home cut. Um, it's, funny, it's funny because uh, before we started, I was um, asking Julio some questions about braiding my hair. And um, I said, you know, I remember from like being a little kid in softball, I can still French braid my hair. And like, I do it while we're watching Netflix. And I was like, but nobody wants to see me walking around with a French braid like a 12 year old. And he said back, he goes, actually, I think that'd be really cool because nobody's doing it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna French braid my hair later with all my little layers and, uh, and take a picture. And it's going to be fresh. People are going to love it. Yes. Um, okay, so let's cover like a couple logistical things that I think are important. I was really surprised. I have friends that have told me they have never dyed their hair themselves. Oh my God. I don't know if it's because I grew up in Seattle, but in high school, we literally used to have hair dyeing parties. And if we yeah. were out at a concert seeing like Seven Year Bitch, we were walking up and down the grocery store aisle of Fred Meyers trying to decide what hair color we were going to change our hair to that weekend. I haven't done it for Definitely. a really long time. If people haven't ever dyed their own hair, like where do they start? What do you recommend? Okay, I recommend that A, you keep it simple. If you have an issue, mainly people's main issue now is grayness coming in and they're worried about that and they don't want people to see that or on a chat or on a FaceTime or whatever. So that's the case. Easily, um, you can go pick up some hair color from the store because nothing else is open and um, you can um, mix up just a little tiny bit of it, take a Q-tip and only paint the pieces of gray that you see and that's it. And don't worry about what's in the back because no one's going to see that. Only really truly worry about your part or what's in the very front and what's bugging you. And if you do so with a, um, a uh, Q-tip, there's less of a carbon footprint of a, if you will, on the face or on the scalp. Um, and then uh, choosing your color is very simple. If you're, if you're brown, uh, I would go with the lighter brown instead of the darker brown. And if you're blonde, then I would go with uh, an ash or a neutral toned uh, blonde. And, and again, you're only painting uh, the, the gray pieces. You're not painting the rest. This will buy you enough time until you can get uh, uh, more of a, a professional help or professional opinion 
on what's going on. So I think that it's, it's important to keep it simple. And Morgan asked, she said she goes to an Aveda salon and they said there's no way she can get her hands on that dye. Any suggestion yeah. for like the best brands or how to get it? Yeah, you know, I mean, this is the thing. And, and I, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I don't care. I'm going to tell the truth. 90% of color is the same, although what they what you do get at the at the store happens to be stronger than what it is that we have and that's why we say be careful because they're trying in a in a bottle they're trying to cover gray and or make a really big statement and the colors that we use we're not necessarily always trying to do that and if we're doing that we're doing so with bleach not color so um, don't worry about what they're telling you, just find something simple and useful and only do the bits that you need to do. That way, when um, it comes time to go to professional, it's a lot easier than for them to clean up that mess. So basically, don't let people make it complicated when it can truly be simple. Uh, and, and, and if you're, you're only painting, let's say, the, a quarter inch or so of gray, then and you're not touching the rest of the hair, that means that 95% of the hair is going to be the same. The only part that's changed is just the new hair. So don't be scared is basically what I'm telling you. I'm always haunted. There was this quote in the movie Singles, and I don't know why I've, like, remembered it and always held on to it. But I remember Bridget Fonda was in that movie and she was turning 25. And there was a quote that she said, before you're 25, you can do anything you want, like dye your hair green, skydive. And people say, oh, she's so adventurous. But after 25, they start to say, that's really immature. And like, you know, for me now, I don't know, maybe I am having emotional reactions. There's like a side of me that wants to like throw some pink in my hair or do something experimental and creative and fun that maybe I wouldn't do. But like, what do you recommend? Uh, because it's funny, I probably haven't touched hair dye since 1998 in Manic Panic. And I don't think that's the move. You know what, you can always use Kool-Aid for pinks and such. Mm -hmm. You can also use beet juice, also makes, if you want to be organic. Uh, and you can, um, that works really well. You can mix beet juice with a little bit of conditioner and until you get the right shade and then go ahead and put that in the blonde hair. Um, so I would do something like that, Kool-Aid or... or um, beet juice or cranberry juice or um, if you wanted to get in the greens, you could use chlorophyll. Uh, I mean, that's just stuff I have in my fridge all the time. And, and I, I know that I can use that if I need to. So I think it's fun to play around with that too. Um, the other thing is too, is because we live in LA, we're lucky. Um, image is uh, a lot more of a broad spectrum. If we were in a place like Chicago, whether where the weather and the jobs dictate that you have to be a little bit more uh, cleaned up and a little bit more primped because it's wet weather and it's windy and um, and it's a different vibe. But here in LA, um, you know, we're 
you can do anything as long as it's done um, in a in a very uh, dramatic way. Or you can do absolutely nothing, and you can blend in that way too. And there's so many extroverts here in LA, but there's also a lot of introverts as well. So whatever your style is, introvert, extrovert, or somewhere in the middle, I think that you need to do you, but more dynamically. And and um, I am I just turned 51, and that has fueled me harder than ever to change my image because I realized that um, I may not have much hair left in 10 years. So I am getting it now, and I'm making it happen now. And I think that, that people should, and, and, and this is a time where not a lot of people are seeing you, so take chances. Yeah. So um, I want to address something for the guys, too, that want to remain cleaned up and do the home cut, or it might have to do with um, cutting bangs. What do you recommend for home cuts? I have to tell you, if you ever get your hair cut by Shampoolio, he actually cuts it dry. And it's funny, like with me, he talks a lot about my hair and gravity. Like I have really stringy hair, so the longer it gets, the flatter it is. And he likes to cut it and he just like dry hacks it so it like starts to get its volume back. And you make it look really easy. Um, but I don't okay. even know like what kind of tools you need. I don't think I should be cutting my bangs with my home scissors. Well, I mean, if you were to cut your own bangs at home, this is how you do it. You bring the scissors up like the point and you cut tiny bits until you get what you didn't want to leave. If you cut this way and you make a mistake, you're going to notice. If you cut this way and you're making a mistake, you won't notice at all. So this is less of a carbon footprint and you just chip away at the bangs until you see what you like. Very simple. For men, I'm going to make it even more simple. Um, there is a way to do it. Uh, I have a comb right here. And this is usually what the problem is for men is that they, their sideburns have grown too much and the front of their hair is long. Um, let me quickly grab a, uh, a comb. I'll be right back. <laughs> awesome. Morgan on the chat thought I should dye my hair aqua. Crazier things have happened. Um, yeah. Your hair will look great like that. Okay, so this is what happens with men. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to, and I don't have much hair here, but what you do is you comb this all forward, your sideburns and the front of your hair towards your eye, and then you come and you just cut that line right up the side of your face. Very simple. And then you brush it back, done. Move to the other side, brush everything forward, come up, cut that line, push it back, done. If the front is too long, you can pull it down like so, like this, and chip into it, push it back, done. Those are the main problems men have are this issue and, and this issue. And the other thing is, is they get double on the back of their neck which you're going to have, then in that case, you have your, uh, your significant other or your friend 
just quickly clean that up with a shaving razor with a few flicks down, done. So those three steps will buy you another month uh, of, of uh, you know, quarantine hair, and you'll still look great, and you won't have made a big mistake by uh, butchering, so to speak. So I think just keep it simple, you know. Men deal with the front, women mainly dealing with the gray, you know. That's, that's good tips. I can't wait to see what comes of this. Okay, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a couple LA questions because you are LA okay. to the fullest, just about more than anybody I know. You know, it's so funny. Last night, Julian and I watched Valley Girl. I love that movie so much. I do too, but it also kind of like blew my mind. It was funny we thought of it because Nicolas Cage was trending on Twitter the other day. And people were saying, uh -huh. what's your favorite Nicolas Cage movie? And everybody was saying Valley Girl. But it's so funny because I just think, I've lived in LA for a long time. I moved here in 2002. And I just think of LA as one big thing, even though I appreciate neighborhoods, like anywhere I've worked, people have commuted from wherever. So I personally often think of LA as one culture. And it's so funny because like in the movie Valley Girl, like they were just going from like Glendale to the Viper Room, but it looked like they were driving from Texas to California or something, right? People <laughs> were like so out of your comfort zone. And you grew up in the Valley, right? Yeah, I did. My, my formative years were in North Hollywood, and I'll never give that up again because there were so many kids there my age, and um, it was flat, and there were so many parks. So we always had somewhere to go, and we had a ton of people to interact and, and play with. So that was amazing. And did it seem like you were really doing something dangerous and going somewhere crazy when you would drive into Hollywood? Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, um, certain Hollywood was sort of like spooky and we knew when we hit the boulevard, something wild could happen. So um, I think that that was a thing. Also, we would from time to time take the bus to Venice and that, and that really seemed like we were going far and, and that was, um, something exotic and we weren't sure what we were going to see when we got there. We always knew that there was going to be something really unique and cool there. And I, I never can quite grasp in the sunset strip heyday when people were going to like the rainbow room, the whiskey and all of that. <laughs> it, it seems so weird to me because like, I remember asking you once, I was like, did you really think hair bands were cool? Because as somebody that grew up in Seattle, like Poison and Whitesnake never seemed cool to me. And I just don't understand how like the germs and the go-go's were happening at the same place as all of that crazy heavy metal parking lot stuff. Right. Well, I'll tell you what it was. All of those guys were extremely cute, very good looking. And all the girls loved them. So if you went to a Poison concert, chances of you getting laid are huge because there's nothing but hot chicks there. If you're going to a Metallica concert, there's no women there. So you're not getting laid that night. So that is why those dynamics worked. And they worked quite well. And we used to see Poison would be there on, the, on Sunset Boulevard flyering. 
they would get into a fight or two or three every single night because all of the girlfriends of the other guys were chasing them and could care less about their dorky boyfriend because they just saw the most beautiful guy ever that is all dolled up. So it was really an interesting time. Um, and, um, you know, you have to give respect to, to those guys for, uh, for, um, for showing up and sticking with it and having to get beat up. But the end result was they all had 10 girlfriends, you know? Oh, my God. Well, and then another thing that was super interesting you told me once was the biggest parties in the 90s weren't necessarily house parties concerts or one specific club the biggest parties were actually at recording studios when bands had lockouts right and and lockout was meant that you had 24 access 24 hour access to this space and nobody else did so you could run a 24 hour party there and um a lot of times when you got, um, you signed a management deal or you signed a record deal, they paid for your lockout. So that meant that you had a place to live, eat, party, and get wild. And that's exactly what happened. And at the, at the you know, different times, we would go to the Guns N' Roses lockout. We would go to, um, you know, so many cool lockouts. And if you had beer and you were with hot chicks, you could get in. If you didn't, then you weren't getting in. And um, the other thing was is that you had to be dressed the part. You couldn't just show up um, looking out of place. You had to belong. So image was very important then. And those parties lasted all night. And you never know who was going to perform. And we got really used to just seeing who's who of of heavy metal just perform and they were friends of ours. We didn't think too much of it. And later on we realized, wow, that was epic. And like back then, even, even though you were really connected to the rock, you grew up loving hip hop and stuff too, right? Luckily for me, my best friend was really immersed in hip hop and he had moved to New York city in the late eighties into the, uh, uh, the village. And so then I would visit, he took me to see uh, Public Enemy, Gangstar, um, I mean, you know, the who's who of, of New York City hip-hop, BC Boys, Run DMC, like, I got to see that for real as a young man. I felt very lucky to be there, and those experiences had just as much emotional connection to me as the heavy metal, the punk, and the goth. I really felt it to my core. And to this day, I am influenced by that as much as I am influenced by punk rock, by heavy metal, and by fashion. Hip-hop is right up there. And uh, I listen to hip-hop uh, every single day. And, and thank, thank, uh, thanks to my friend Donnie Masterton for for uh, being the one that, that showed me the way. And he wasn't afraid to take us to shows. Sometimes we were the only white dudes there. And uh, he was not afraid, and therefore I wasn't afraid. And you know what? They left us alone. They could care less. They were there having their time. They weren't worried about two dorky kids. But let me tell you, we were watching everything to see what they were wearing, how they were doing it, 
you know, all their moves, we were just soaking it up. That's so sick. I mean, you can only imagine the music nerd conversations we have when I go to get my hair cut. Um, I really wish, I really, really think, uh, you know, you mentioned being challenged by dyslexia, but man, I feel like you have seen it all. And I, I have one more question for you that might be a tricky one. Um, but I mean, we're not even going to get into your Rick Rubin stories, your like working at Fred Siegel in the heyday stories. But my question for you is someone that grew up in LA, two part question, who is one person that you really saw rise from nothing and make it? And then the second question is, who is somebody you respect and admire that you think should be a thousand times more famous than they are? Okay, answer to first, rising from nothing to everything. Uh, Dino Cordona and Ross Robinson. Dino, Dino Cordona and I and Ross Robinson were all homeless together in the late 80s in Hollywood, off of Hollywood Boulevard. They set up shop in an abandoned building and they let me move in with them and took care of me and looked out for me. A, because I was a nice kid. B, because I was a heavy meddler and I had long hair. And Dino Cordona uh, became uh, the uh, founding guitar player and songwriter of, um, uh, oh, it's, I'm sorry, it's, Beer Factory, which is a, a, a death metal band that has become very popular. Um, and then Ross Robinson became the producer du jour for all of the 90s uh, metal and hip hop, like Korn, like um, uh, Limp Bizkit. Um, I mean, you name it. So many metal bands and uh, hip hop and hip-hop metal bands that he produced in the 90s. And all three of us came from absolutely nothing. We had nothing. We had no family help. We had nothing. And from, from that abandoned building, all three of us grew into successful young men. And I still see those guys around, and they're still doing it. And guess what? So am I. So that's amazing. And I forgot the second question now. Oh, who's somebody created that you think should be a thousand times more famous than they are? I, th I feel like we all know uh, people in LA. Yeah, I mean, that is a tough one. Um, but, um, I mean, hmm, that is a really hard one. You know, I can't even really think. You stumped me. <laughs> All right. Well, to be continued, I want to see really quick. This will be a quick experiment as we wrap up. I'm going to shout out some of the people hanging out with us. And uh, if you can, if you are an attendee, I want you to say one word that you got from today, whether it's a feeling or a word or something, one thing you got from today. And if anybody has any more questions, they can throw them in the chat too. But okay, I'm gonna put um, everybody on blast. Let's see if this works. Alicia. Hey. One word from today. Style. 
style. Okay. Yeah. Amy, Amy B. Oh, she's on mute. Hey. One word from today. <sighs> Reassured. Okay. Yeah. Corey. Alt education. Alt education? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go with Grace Weber. Creativity and bangs. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Joy joined in. Joy, what's one word you got from today? Cool. I put cool. <laughs> cool. Okay. Great. Uh, we've got Lara. Um, creativity was my word. Um, and just keeping it real and styling. Okay. Sure. She was probably at one of the studio lockouts with you in the nineties. <laughs> um, <laughs> Michelle Lavin. Well, I'm not afraid to do my own hair tomorrow. I feel really good about that, and I feel very inspired. Okay. Yeah. Um, Morgan Lindsay. Oh, one more time, Morgan. Okay, let's try Sandra. Heart, all heart. Okay, how about Van? Or Yara. Try to use it. Live exclamation point. No. Live exclamation yeah. point. All right, cool. Um, okay. Thanks everybody for jumping on today. I really appreciate it. Um, Julio, anything else you want to uh, say to any uh, say to anybody? Uh, yes, yeah, I think that. I think you know. Right now, it's really important time to check in with yourself to stay grounded and to meditate. And what that means to me is just shutting down, being quiet, listening to your body and giving it time. Don't be in a hurry. Just sort of sit there and relax with no expectation and really give yourself that chance every day and just understand who you are. The more that you, you go inward, the more you get a chance to be introduced to who you truly are. And I think that's been the biggest thing that I've learned from Andrea Markham and all the other mentors I've had is, is to, um, to listen to yourself, take that time and do you and show up every day for you because no one else is gonna. And, and if you believe in yourself, people will believe in you, but that takes you introducing you to yourself and that takes quiet time and that takes some form of uh, relaxation and holding that space for you. So, so I think that that's the most important thing right now that, that I have going on. And, and I hope that I, um, and I'm inspiring others to do so as well. And I, I, I want to give a big spiritual hug to everybody and, and send a lot of warmth because um, we all need it. But it's right there for us. We just have to go and uh, receive it, you know? 
That's so awesome. I'm going to take it back to the beginning, what I got on my little quote today. I share my resources and my knowledge with all of life. I am so happy that everybody got to meet Julio Shambulio. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you. Okay, full disclosure, after that episode, I went on to Amazon and I ordered a bunch of Kool-Aid. So I'll keep you posted on how the hairstyles go. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Idea Fountain. You can catch up on all the episodes, including the infamous one with Andrea Markham that we kept talking about. Uh, She was a guest in season one. They're all at juliepilot.co. J-U-L-I-E-P-I-L-A-T dot co. And uh, I appreciate you following the Idea Fountain at the Idea Fountain on Instagram and keeping in touch. Uh, Looking forward to the next episode and maybe a return to normalcy. I sure do miss filling the house up with a bunch of people I love for the fireside chats. But this was the next best thing. Thanks so much.